Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? A couple of you all are doing well. Glad to have you guys here. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us this morning. It's been a while since I've gotten the chance to get up here. So uh, uh, how's you guys? Everybody had a good New Year? Everybody, on the count of three, tell me how your New Year's was. One, two, three. Okay, that wasn't very good. You all aren't very good at listening today, but I'm, I'm, hopefully you'll get better as the day goes on. But um, I, I love New Year's. Um, I love New Year's Eve. Any New Year's Eve fans out there? Anybody, anybody enjoy New Year's Eve? I like New Year's Eve because I enjoy a good party. Where are my party people at? <laughs> party people, front row. Of course they are. The rest, everybody that is in a party is in a sleep in the back. So, uh, like, I love a good party. It's one of the reasons why I love New Year's Eve. There's always great parties on New Year's Eve. Anybody attend a great party on New Year's Eve? Couple people, couple people. Rest of you guys, I'm sorry you didn't get invited. Um, you know, maybe next year. But I, I love partying. I grew up, I was the party kid. In fact, um, in high school, my parents traveled a lot. So they were gone every weekend. Every weekend at my house was a party. In fact, it became party central so much that the cops actually knew me by first name. That, that's awesome, especially when you get pulled over a lot. They already know you. So it, it makes the ticket process way faster. Um, but... Like, I love partying, I, and, and, and I was crazy back then, and one of the things that I learned about partying is, is that I didn't need anything artificial to make me have a good time. Like, I was just crazy anyways. Uh, some of you guys maybe can relate to that. Other people, they need things to become crazy. Not me. I'm just natural. And so, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And so, this past New Year's Eve, my wife and I, we were in Columbus, Ohio, visiting family. My sister is a lot older than I am. She's like 14 years older than I am, and her husband's a little bit older than that. And they throw one of the biggest parties in all of this area in, in Columbus, Ohio, called Upper Arlington, um, which is kind of this ritzy, like, high uppity society. And Steve's laughing because that's where his parents live. And so, uh, so he understands exactly what I'm talking about because it's, it's just this area that's, you know, kind of older money kind of people, very well-to-do, kind of all these family establishments. And so my sister and her husband, they throw this huge New Year's Eve party. And they're like, TJ and Shayla, you guys going to come this year? And we're like, party? Heck yeah. And so I show up early. We're going to help them kind of get it going. And my brother-in-law, who's who's in his like mid-50s, it's like five, six o'clock. He, he's already pretty well into the drinking pattern of the night. And, uh, and I go, oh man, this is going to be even better party, you know, because like you put party and stupid together and they just make an awesome combination. And so we're going along, we're, we're having a good time. All these people start showing up. My brother-in-law just, he, he kind of has a little bit of a drinking problem. He just keeps going. And, and all of a sudden we're sitting there. Michigan State has just lost uh, the playoff game, which makes every person in Ohio ecstatic at that moment. And so one of the guys is like, I got fireworks. And all of a sudden, like all the drunk dudes go outside. And, uh, and I'm like, fireworks and drunk people? That's a great combination. Like I'm there too. And so I run out with them and, and I grab fireworks and they have like this little lighter thing, you know, with the stick on it. I don't know. Is that called a, just a lighter? Uh, okay. It's a lighter. Uh, when I think of a lighter, I think of the thing you do this with. Okay. So they have the stick thing. And uh, so I'm like, hey, I'll handle the fireworks, setting them up so you guys don't blow your hands off um, because that's what you might do. And so I'm setting up fireworks and, and they're, because it's so cold outside, uh, apparently the plastic wicks that were on these fireworks, this little lighter couldn't get them lit. And so 
like we're out there, they're trying to light these things and they're getting frustrated and frustrated drunk people get really loud. And so they're getting louder and all of a sudden my, my brother-in-law is like, I'll fix it. And he runs into his garage and he comes back out with like a blowtorch. <laughs> you know, like what you would use to like solder pipes with. Like It's like, and it's, it's a long flame. And he's like, I got it. And he walks up to like the first firework and lights like seven of them up at one time. And they just start going off everywhere. And I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Then another drunk guy's like, I got more fireworks. And it just starts going. And before long, like the party is out of hand. And we come to find out you're not allowed to have fireworks in Columbus, Ohio. We didn't know that, but the cops let us know that. Uh, and so even later in life. And so I just, I love to party. Like, I, and, and I'll tell you what, Shayla and I, we're a good time. Even if we're not at your party, just having some pictures of us will be a game changer for your party. In fact, some people on New Year's Eve, uh, they decided they, they, since we weren't here, they're going to bring us to their party. And they cut out a bulletin picture. And they just, they just took it everywhere and took pictures with them. And so, like, I want you to know that if you're having a party and you want it to be a good time, you invite Shayla and I. We'll, we'll, we'll bring the party with us. It'll be fun. The reason I talk about that is because... I believe that every single Sunday, uh, our church throws a party. We throw a party for Jesus. And we come in and we celebrate the creator of the universe. We celebrate the fact that people are going to have the opportunity to know him. And every week we come in here and we do the best of our possible abilities to create a place where Jesus is exalted and celebrated. And it's a party like no other party where people's lives are being changed. And that's what we're all about as a church. We're all about creating an environment for people to have this encounter with Jesus. In fact, I put it in your worship God like this. We want to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church so they can experience, so they can know, and so they can follow Jesus. That's what we're all about as a church, which is what we've been about since the very beginning. We want people to experience, we want people to know, and we want people to follow Jesus. If you were to kind of break that down into, like, what does that really mean? It comes down to this, this like, three areas. It comes down to discipleship, community and evangelism. In fact, it would look something like this if you were to make like a little pie chart thing. Uh, community, discipleship, and evangelism. That's what we're about. We want people to experience Jesus. That's evangelism, man. We want them to have this encounter with God. We want them to, to be in community. And, and community, I think, is, is part of the following process is we do that together. We, as we're moving together, man, God does these things. And, 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 and discipleship is to know him, to get this relationship with God. As you know God, as you have this relationship, it just absolutely transforms you. Now, a lot of churches would say that this is exactly what they're all about. Man, we're about evangelism. We're about doing relationships with people. We're about people growing in the relationship with God. And while most churches would say that, and usually there's a focus on one element. Like the church I grew up in, we were high on discipleship. We were, man, we want people to know God. We want them to have all the information they needed. On the flip side of that, the entire time I was there, I don't ever remember us ever baptizing a person. Like, we, I don't remember us seeing somebody raise their hand and say, I want to know Jesus and, give him, and let him be Lord and Savior of my life. And so while we are really good at discipleship, we are terrible at evangelism. And, and I think to be healthy to be a whole person, to be a whole church, we gotta encompass all of those areas. Like we've gotta be, we've gotta be have an equal amount of community and discipleship and evangelism. In fact, our church has never really been about church growth. Like we've never sat out and go, man, we wanna be the biggest church or we wanna do this. No, no, no. We've always said we just wanna be a healthy church. 
We just want to be healthy because we know that if, if we're healthy, if we've got discipleship happening and, and people are getting saved and following Jesus and we're inviting more people and they're finding relationships with other people and they're growing in the relationship with God and then all those things and that, that cycle is just happening over and over and over again, then the byproduct of a really healthy church is going to be growth. It's going to be growth individually. It's going to be growth spiritually. It's going to be growth numerically. That's just going to be the byproduct of all of those things. And we've said this to you a lot of different ways. We've said that, hey, man, grow up, grow in, grow out. You know, we said, hey, it's all about the three relationships, your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with insiders, your relationship with outsiders. It's all about these three elements, and maybe some of you guys, you're here for the first week or you've been here for three weeks or three months and you think to yourself, man, I think that I've found the perfect church. Like, I love this place. It's perfect. Everything is exactly how I like it. And I just want to let you know right now that we are not a perfect church. We're a messed up, jacked up church, uh, partly because I lead this place and I'm messed up and I'm jacked up. You just spent a couple of weeks here. I'll probably offend you. It's okay. Uh, you, you, you'll make it and just dust the dirt off your shoulders and we'll keep going. But like, and, and, and if you're looking for the perfect church, let me just go ahead and tell you what you're looking for. You are looking for a unicorn because there are no perfect churches. If there is a perfect church and you show up at it, you just jack that place up. Come on, you know you're messed up. You, you just messed it up. So like there, it's not, it doesn't exist or it, it does exist and just nobody's there. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, because we, we are. We're just, honestly, we're, we're a group of messed up people, but we're a group of forgiven messed up people who are trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus? Like, what does that look like for our lives? And so for the next couple of weeks, that's what I want to talk about. And I want to talk about how do we define this idea of spiritual growth in our life. What does that look like? And, and there's been a lot of debate and there's been a lot of ideas on what does that look like. In fact, in, in Bible college or in, in seminary, uh, they, they will teach you that if you want spiritual maturity, if you want spiritual growth, um, biblical literature in your church to be more biblically literate will determine the maturity of your church. So in essence, what they say to you in, in school is, is that the more people know, the more that they'll grow. And we've probably all heard that form of logic at some point. The more you know, the more you're going to grow. And so they, in, in college, they would tell you, man, the more, the more biblical maturity your church has, which means the more Bible studies you offer to them, the more programs you have people involved in, the more uh, scripture memorization that's happening, uh, the more programs that people are participating in, uh, the more you know the more you're going to grow. And the problem with that, besides the fact that it doesn't work, is that nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus ever talk about the more you know, the more you grow. Like, Jesus never defines spiritual maturity in that way. In fact, when we see Jesus talking about spiritual growth and spiritual maturity, it wasn't about what you knew, because the people that Jesus had the biggest problem with were the most educated people. They're the people that knew the most about the law of the land. They were the ones that knew the most information. They had this unbelievable knowledge, and yet those were the people he had the greatest issue with 
So when Jesus talks about spiritual growth or when he talked about spiritual maturity, it wasn't about knowledge. It was always about how do you love other people? It was always like, how is love being displayed in your life? That's going to be the evidence of your maturity. How well do you love other people? Now, the problem that I think that we have as a church, as a whole, not just us, but as a whole, is, is that most of us are educated far beyond our level of obedience. Think about that for a moment. Here's your opportunity to think and use all that information. You're educated way beyond your level of obedience. I'm educated way beyond my level of obedience. We know so much stuff today. But we don't do very much stuff. And I hear people all the time like, man, I, I, and, 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 and we're all, I, I hear people, man, I'm seeking, man, I just want some deeper Bible teaching. Like, man, I want to get into the, to the Greek and the Hebrew. I want to understand the context of all those things. They always, they always want more information. And information is awesome. I'm a Bible freaking nerd. Like, I geek out over the, the Greek and the Hebrew. Like, I like going back and trying to pronounce words that I have no idea to pronounce and, and killing them and, and figuring out the context of things. A couple of weeks ago, like, I come home and I tell Shayla all this stuff because none of y'all would care about it. And she's like, I don't care either. But, but like, I just love it. Like, it's fun for me. But I can't ever start to think that because I have a lot of information about the Bible, it means that I'm loving well or that I'm spiritually mature. And most of us are educated so far beyond our obedience and we know a lot of stuff. But there's not a, stuff, a lot of stuff we actually do. And so today I just want to look at this passage out of Matthew chapter 9. And it's a pretty familiar passage. And, and this is a, a little bit of a rarity for us. We're really just going to look at one scripture today. And I think that there's some truth out of this scripture that to set this year right, I think we need to hear and we need to follow and we need to understand um, and I really want to just drive it home today. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, it says this. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, a couple of interesting things are happening here in this verse. Now, Matthew is sitting at a tax collector's booth. And that makes Matthew a what for a living? Okay, like three of you got that. Okay, this isn't a trick question. What would that make him? Okay, that's a little bit better. A tax collector. And so if you don't really know much about society in the days of Jesus, tax collectors were not looked very highly upon, just like they're not really looked very highly upon right now. Um, <laughs> but they, they were actually really despised and really hated in their days. And there's a couple of reasons. Be, uh, I think one of them is, is because nobody really likes giving their money to the government. Can I get an Amen. Come on now. Like, none of us really enjoy that. Well, they didn't enjoy it back then. We don't enjoy it now. And so they especially didn't enjoy it back then because the government happened to be the Roman government, and they were really oppressing them. And because these guys were representation of the Roman government, they were really hated because of that. Another reason they were hated is because most tax collectors were actually Jewish people. And uh, they had this mentality that when the Romans were ruling over them, that if you, if you weren't fighting Rome, then you were actually for Rome. And so if you actually went to work for Rome and were collecting taxes, not only were you not fighting against us, but you were actually fighting for the other side. So in essence, they were traitors in their society. 
But most of all, the reasons they hated tax collectors the most is because they're a bunch of cheaters. They not only taxed people for the the Roman fees, but they additionally went above and beyond that. And so we have this this whole scenario where there's this level of hatred, there is this level of despise, and, and, and in fact, if you were to look a couple of verses later, they actually singled out, there's a difference between tax collectors and sinners. So like prostitutes and, and murderers and, and uh, liars and cheaters. Like these people, they're, they're like, man, we're not as bad as that. And so like we want to be over here in our own category, but tax collectors, we're in our own. And so they were, they were really, really hated. And in the middle of that, Jesus walks up to Matthew, who's a tax collector, and says, Follow me. And what you have to understand when Jesus walks up to Matthew and says, follow me, this isn't like a passing, like, hey, we should hang out someday like we would do with other people. This is a formal invitation to come and be a part of his group. This is, a, 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 this is, in essence, Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to come roll with me and my boys. Like, I want you to be a part of our crew. Like, we're down with you, and you're going to be down with us. We're going to roll out. And this is so outside the box because Matthew has been about his life. has been all about greed. It's been about gaining more stuff. It's been about lying. It's been about cheating. It's been about stabbing his own people in the back. And here, all of a sudden, Jesus walks up to him and is in essence saying, like, hey, Matthew, how is all that working out for you? Like, when you're out there and you've gotten all this stuff, is that giving you a lot of joy in your life? Are you experiencing an overwhelming amount of peace in your life? Like, are, is that happening for you? Because if it's not, there's another option for you. They're like, there is another way. And, and I think there's something inside of Matthew that's looking around at all of this stuff that he's acquired and looking around at his situation and going, man, I wonder if there's something more in this life. And I think for a lot of us, the new year, what it does for us is we look back on the past and we see, man, we thought to ourselves, man, if I could just get in a relationship with those people over there, if I had that group of friends, then all of a sudden I would be fulfilled in life. And I would have this deep sense of joy and peace because I would have those friends. Or if I just achieved this level of success at my job, then I would, I would have everything I need inside of me. Or if I just ended up in a relationship with that person and we ended up getting married, then all of my cares would go away. And we think that if we achieved all of this stuff, then all of the thing inside of us would dissipate. And yet we've achieved so much and we're sitting there wondering, God, is there more to life than this? Like, I sure hope so, because there's still an emptiness that's inside of me. There is a, a longing within me that these things that I thought would fulfill just haven't fulfilled. And Jesus is like, Matthew, dude, if you're, if you're happy and you're content, dude, you can stay right there. But if you're not, he's saying to you today, but if you're not, like if you're not experiencing what I promise of a fulfilled life, and maybe you think that there's something more, why don't you just come and follow me? Now, Matthew doesn't even know what this decision means. Like, he has no idea the, the repercussions of this decision on his life. All he knows is that if he makes this decision, his life is going to be different than it currently is. And see, what we have to understand and what we miss so many times 
is if you don't follow Jesus, you choose to follow someone or something else. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but if because some of you guys are like, well, I don't, I don't follow Jesus. And, and, and have you ever thought about the fact that if you're not following Jesus, you're choosing to follow someone or something else? Because we all worship something. We all follow someone or something. And my question for you today is, is who is that or what is that for your life? What are you giving yourself to? There's this really interesting story in, in John chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching and he kind of gives like a harder truth to some people. And he's got all these followers at this time and like three quarters of them are like, man, we can't handle this. And they just walk off. They're like, we can't follow anymore. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, hey, like all these people are abandoning me. Are you, are you going to go too? He's like, all these people are leaving. Are you going to leave too? And I love Peter's response because Peter's response is, is, is so amazing. He says in John 6, 68, Lord, to whom would we go? In essence, Jesus, if we aren't following you, who are we going to follow? What are we going to follow in life? He's getting to the point that if you don't follow Jesus, you're going to follow something or someone else. And in this moment, for whatever the reason may be, Matthew decides, man, I'm going to follow Jesus. He doesn't know what it's all about. He doesn't know what that's going to be the expectation on him. He doesn't know what it's going to look like. All he knows is that he's about to leave his deceptful, lucrative business and follow Jesus. Now, there's a couple of truths I want us to see out of this scripture that I think are really, really important. For us, because Jesus is giving an invitation to all of us today. And I want you to know this, number one, everyone is invited to follow Jesus. Everyone is invited to follow Jesus. Notice in the story that Jesus doesn't say to Matthew, if you fill in the blank, whatever it may be, if you do this, then you can follow me. He doesn't say, Matthew, hey, listen, when you stop lying and when you stop cheating, when you stop stabbing your own people in the back, then and only then can you follow me. That isn't the invitation that Jesus gives. Jesus just looks at Matthew and says, hey, come be a part of us. It's like the one thing about Jesus that I love is that he always makes room for people no matter where they are in their life. He always says there's an open invitation. And see, Jesus was so different. See, the general rule of thought at that time, the religious leaders of the day, this is what they would tell everybody. They would say, hey, listen, change, and then you can join us. When you get your act together, then you can come be a part. And some of you have experienced religion that's like this. You've gone to a place, and you've walked into a place, and they've said, listen, when you get A, B, C, and D in order, then and only then can you be a part, and so what do you do? You go, and you fake that you have A, B, C, and D together so you can be a part, right? Come on, let's be honest. Like, you didn't really change. No, you just, you just kind of adapted for that situation, and then you rolled out, like, when it, when it got too oppressive. And then Jesus rolls onto the scene, and he flips the script on him. He goes, join us, and you'll change. He says, hey, come be a part of my community. Hey, come hang out with us. Come do life with us and see what will happen to you. See what transformation will take place in your life. I promise you, you will never be the same if you come and you hang out with me. 
Some of you are like, man, but I, I don't know, TJ, man, I've got some stuff in my life. Man, I've got some patterns of sin going on in my life. And I know that I need to get those things kind of worked out before I come to Jesus. And let me just tell you this right now. There is no, no pattern of sin. There's no addiction. There's no stronghold. There's, there's nothing in your life. There's no illness. There's no sickness. There's no uh, problem that you're facing right now that Jesus says you can't come and follow him with. It's an open invitation. Now, I know there are some others of you that are like, all right, well, that's, that's cool, TJ, but my problem isn't sin. I mean, yes, my problem is sin. I got some sin issues because we, we all got issues, you know. And so, uh, but my problem isn't really that because I've, I've kind of gotten this figured out that, that like, sin, like sin isn't keeping me from Jesus. In fact, sin is my prerequisite to know Jesus. Like I kind of have to have some sin to like want Jesus in my life. That's typically how it works. Uh, because the only people that rejected Jesus were the people that thought they had it all together. And so for you, your problem isn't sin. The problem that you have is doubt. You're like, man, I don't, I don't know that I believe all this stuff. There's this whole book, and I don't know that I, that I buy into all that. There's this whole idea that God sent his son to die on a cross and raise again. Like, I'm not sure that I'm there. I don't know that I believe all that. And I'm about to blow your mind because I want you to know that your unbelief does not disqualify you from following Jesus. You want to know how I know that? Jesus invited 12 dudes to follow him. For two to three years, these guys followed him. They listened to him teach some of the most mind-blowing information that anybody had ever heard. They watched miracle after miracle, blind eyes open, deaf ears hearing, uh, dead people being raised. And at the end of two to three years, a lot of them were like, man, I'm just not sure about this guy. And in fact, the historians say it's about two years in that, that a couple of them, they have like this aha moment. And they're like, oh my gosh, he is the son of God. Like, have we seen all this? And Jesus continues on and he still has people that don't believe. In fact, he predicts, he tells them, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die and I'm going to get raised again. Like the Romans are going to take me. I'm going to get hung on a cross. I'm going to die three days later. I'm going to get up again. And then you're going to see me. And people are still like, man, I don't believe him. And then he does it, and people are seeing him. And one guy named Thomas is like, man, I know that you guys have seen Jesus resurrected and stuff, but I still don't believe until I look at his hands, see the wound, and put my finger in it. And all of a sudden, like, Jesus appears through the wall, which would scare the living crap out of me. And what does he say to Thomas? Is he like, dude, you're an unbelieving idiot. I told you I was going to do all this stuff, and you still don't believe? What's up with that? No, Jesus is like, hey, I heard you're still struggling a little bit. Heard you need to see these. Heard you need to touch it. Go on, it's okay. He's extremely kind with them. Why? Because Jesus isn't scared of your doubts, He's not offended by your questions. And maybe this year is the year that you decide that you're going to follow him and explore what being a disciple of his is all about, even though you don't have all those questions answered and you don't have all those doubts erased. Because Jesus makes room for your doubt. He makes room for your questions. He makes room for the sin patterns that you haven't figured out yet. And even though you don't feel like you have your life all in order, 
Jesus says you're a perfect candidate to accept this invitation to follow. See, and as we accept this invitation to follow, what we got to understand is to follow Jesus is an invitation to relationship. It's an invitation to know a living God. It's not about more rules or more religion. It's about a relationship. And I think that if we're, our approach to being a disciple is not based on relationship, we're missing the mark. Because the essence of discipleship isn't how much do you know. The essence of discipleship is, is who are you following? Who are you following in your life? And let me just give you this disclaimer right now. If you choose to follow Jesus, it will absolutely radically transform your life. You will be different. It might not be different two days from now. It might not be different two months from now. But you spend a quality amount of time with Jesus and your life will change. How do I know this? Because I get in relationships with somebody. That relationship always has an impact on me. In fact, I figured it out this morning that uh, in 2022, I will have been married to my wife for half of my life. I don't know why I thought that was important information last night, but, uh, but I, like, I just thought it was important because I was thinking, man, I've been married to Shayla for 15 years, going on 16. That's crazy. Um, and it's crazy because like how much we have changed over the years that we've been married. And, and if you knew us before we got married, our lives were so completely different. In fact, uh, let me kind of give you some background. Shayla is the oldest of six kids. How many of y'all know that her parents hadn't figured out how to stop that? Um, and, and, so, and so they had six kids. She's the oldest. She's got three other sisters, two brothers. And so, man, she is a large family. And being a large family, that meant that they're broke. Uh, because kids will break you. That's what I've been told. Is that correct, parents? Kids will break you. Uh, well, six kids will really break you. And so there's six of them. And so they didn't have a lot of money, but they had like a bit, they had a house and they had lots of acreage around them. And so they were always outside. They were doing all these outdoor activities. Like they'd go vacation and go camping and swimming and mess with bugs and stuff. And, and, and so I kind of grew up on the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, I, where I fell in our family place was as I was kind of like an only child growing up. And so my family happened to be extremely wealthy. And so thing, for like vacation, we would go to Europe for vacation. And, and so I grew up in a very cultured background. And so there was this distinct difference. And so when Shayla and I got married, it was like two polar opposites coming together and trying to figure this, all this stuff out. And so I remember like two years into our, our marriage, Shayla's like, let's go on vacation. I'm like, cool. And I was like, what do you want to do? And she's like, let's go camping. And I was like, cool. That means we're going to, instead of staying at a hotel, we're going to stay at a motel, right? Because that's my idea of camping. Like that's, you know, you got to bring a sleeping bag in there, zip it up. There's a guy that owns a motel in our church somewhere. Sorry to offend your motel. Uh, but uh, like, it's just like, you just don't know what you're going to get there. Like it's an adventure going into one of those places. And so she's like, no, no, no. I mean, like, like there's some, there, we lived on her grandparents' property. We had a place there and, and she's like, no, there's a place at the end of the property called The Point and we'll invite some other families and we'll, we'll set up tents, and we'll do a big bonfire, and it'll be awesome, and we'll have s'mores and stuff, and I was like, that doesn't sound awesome, but we'll try it, and, uh, 
And so we have all these people out, we're cooking all this stuff, and we're like sitting on logs. Like, who thought that this was enjoyable? I, I don't know. But uh, so I'm doing it because I'm, I'm, I'm changing. I'm, I'm open-minded now to new and adventurous things. And, and so it, it gets dark, and so everybody goes in their tents, and they're laying down, and, and Shayla's like over there snoring and grinding her teeth. Like, she's in heaven. Like, this is, this is her element right now. She's out cold. I'm lying there, and I'm like, I cannot fall asleep. And all I can think about is about a couple thousand yards away is our house. And it's got air conditioning and a bed and a toilet with running water. And like, like those, are, those are appealing things. And so in the middle of the night, I just, I just go back to the, to the house. <laughs> <laughs> she wakes up the next day and she's like, where's TJ? And she's like freaking out. And uh, finally they found me asleep in my bed. And uh, I didn't quite change enough, but like that relationship has changed me. Like I, I, I watch romantic comedies now. I never watched a romantic comedy until I got married. In fact, uh, recently, uh, when I, last time I was traveling to Africa, I watched a romantic comedy by myself on the airplane. And what's worse about that, I, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, is like it got to one of those moments where I started crying. And I'm like on this plane and I'm crying and apparently I was being too loud because the lady next to me turned and looked at me and said, get it together. And I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> things change when you're in a relationship, don't they? The things that you care about, the things that you value. Same things happen in my relationship with Jesus. Like, man, things have changed in my life. There, there wasn't a lot of things that I care about before Jesus that I, I care immensely about now. Like, I, I think about the kids that we take care of in Tuvalisha, Africa, and, and my, man, my heart goes out to those, those kids that are a lot of AIDS orphans and, and kids that their parents have, have just died from sickness and disease that we're feeding every single day, and my heart goes out to them, and, and while their pain is not my pain, like, I still feel it, and while their, their struggles are not my struggles, I still struggle with them, and I care about them. In fact, like, I even have my picture of Bandile. He's my sponsor kid, um, and I send gifts to this dude. I've gotten, like, three letters in the last couple of months. Uh, the last one was telling me about our Christmas at the care point like he got to go on bounce houses and he got some gifts and like he's never had Christmas before and like we got to provide him with Christmas him and like 499 other kids and like I never gave a rip about kids in Africa until Jesus all of a sudden man my heart is like man when do I get to go back when do I get to see him again and when do I get to like, take him and get him ice cream because that dude goes crazy over some ice cream. Why? Our relationship with Jesus changed me. At one point in my life, I didn't care about those things. My entire identity was built on what you thought of me. And everything in my life was about, like, man, can I get people to like me? I thought that's where my identity lied. Until I got a relationship with Jesus and I realized that my identity isn't found in what you think about me. It's in what God already said about me. Changed me. Listen, a relationship with Jesus will absolutely change your life. And you got to know that. This invitation to follow is an invitation to relationship that will absolutely change and transform you from the inside out. You also have to realize that following this invitation of following him, it forces you and I to focus on where I am rather than where we're not. It causes us to focus on 
where we are rather than where somebody else is not. Because I'm focused on where I am and what's happening in my relationship with Jesus. I'm not focusing on what's going on in your life. I'm not as concerned about that. So many times we spend so much time judging other people that we forget about the work that God's trying to do inside of us. Because we have the wrong perspective. We have the wrong focus. And Jesus is trying to get us to focus on the author and perfecter of our faith. Focus on him, not what other people are doing, and see what God will do. I, I, I put it like this in your outline. The more conscious I am of what God has yet to do in me, the less concerned I am about what God hasn't done in you. See, some of us, all of our days are spent looking at blog posts and judging other people and thinking about, well, they should be doing this and they should be doing that. And if this group was as spiritually mature as that group or if they had this theology rather than that theology, instead of just looking and going, man, I need to become aware of how much I need Jesus rather than focusing on what they're lacking right now. Because when you realize how much work God needs to do in you, it's a game changer. A lot of people ask me about what I think about a lot of things, and I don't have a lot of thoughts. You want to know why? Because I realize how messed up my life is. Like, I wish I could stand up here and say, man, I've got it all figured out. But I don't. I'm lucky I can figure out what socks to wear today. Like, I, I, the struggle is real in life. But when I focus on where I need help, I always come back to this verse in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It says this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I've been a Christ follower for a little over 19 years. And there have been very few days that I've laid down at the end of the night and been like, Jesus, I killed it today. Like, man, I woke up this morning and I woke up with this joy and this attitude of prayer. And I started talking to you and then I got into your word. I got so much revelation today that, that when I walked out into the world that we know it, that, man, I saw hurt. And I saw brokenness, and I was there, and I was there to pick up people. I loved people that were completely unlovable, that didn't deserve my love, but I loved them anyways. All throughout my day. And then I got home, and I, I was so selfless with Shayla. It was, it was amazing. Like, she didn't even know what to do. You know how many days I've had like that in my 19 years, maybe three? I, and that might be stretching it. Most days I lay down my head and go, Phew. I missed it a couple of places today. Man, I should have been way kinder to that guy. Why didn't I, why didn't I pray for that person? Man, why did I honk my horn before the light turned green? Come on, y'all know you do it every day, so... I've been in front of you. But I lay there and I go, you know what? Tomorrow's a new day. We're going to get him. Because his mercies are new every morning.
we have this saying here at our church that I think is so apropos for this moment. We say this a lot. We say everyone's welcome because nobody's perfect and anything's possible. And I think that's the essence of what Jesus is saying right here to Matthew. He's saying, listen, follow me. Like, you don't have it all together, but you're welcome. Because you don't have it all together, and I do, if you follow me, it will change your life. And this is what I promise. As your life gets changed, man, you'll see the impossibilities become possible in your life. And maybe you're here today, and you've got some doubts, you've got some fears, you've got some sin patterns. And today, Jesus is just giving you an invitation. That in spite of all those things that you think are barriers, he opens the door wide and says, come follow anyways. Let's make this a year where we don't wait any longer. But we leave what we think is going to give us what we need to follow the one that has everything that we need. Let's pray. Father God, I just come before you. And I thank you that this invitation that you give us to follow isn't a limited invitation. It's not just for some people. It's not just for good people. It's not just for those who have their lives all together, but it's for every single one of us. And I know that there's some of us out there that have some doubts. We have some questions still. We have some patterns of sin in our life that we think that, man, I, I need to work all this stuff out before I can follow. In Jesus today, you invite us to follow. And you don't invite us to a bunch of rules and regulations. You invite us into a relationship with the creator of the universe, the Lord of heaven and earth, whose love for you, whose love for me was so great that he gave up his one and only son, who came here on earth and lived a sinless life to, to, to show us the way and died a gruesome death on a cross and rose three days later so that you and I, we could have life. He says that we could have it more abundantly. And this is what I know is a lot of us, we've just been enduring life and God is saying, man, I've got so much more for you. But it starts with following. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe that's you out there and maybe this is the day you need to choose to follow or maybe you used to follow and you need to come back and start following again. I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you just slip your hand up real quick, I'd love to pray with you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, I saw you over there. Thank you. Anybody else? You just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud. God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, who came and died upon a cross so that I could have life and have it more abundantly. God, I ask you to forgive my sin. I ask you to come into my life. God, while I might not have it all figured out, I, I'm going to choose to follow. And I know that as I choose to follow, God, that you're going to do some things inside of me that maybe I can't even comprehend or understand right now, but I'm going to put my trust in you. God, thank you for coming into my life and saving me right where I am. God, and I just lift up the rest of us. God, I pray that this year would be a year that we would all choose to follow. God, that we would up our followership with you. That we wouldn't sit back or stay back, but God, that we would run after you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, thank you 
for what you're doing in this place today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.